You're now listening to Dirty Feet, a brand new podcast on No More Radio. Bonjour, oui, vous êtes sur les ondes des pieds sales, aka Dirty Feet podcast on No More Radio. I'm Alison Burns. I'm JD Papillon. Oh, I'm Jen Don. The donor. donor. I'm the donor. This is Joanie on No More Radio. Stay tuned for dance, circus, burlesque, tango, movement, salsa, whatever it is, we're going to move you. What are we now? Podcast hosts? We are a podcast, yeah. We're podcast podcasters. 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 I like that. Podcaster. Cool. For dance. <laughs> How about that? Oh, yeah. Do you want to dance? Welcome to another edition of the Dirty Feet Podcast here on the No More Radio Network. You have two hosts today. I'm Alison Burns. And I'm Jen Doan. This week, we're going to start like we did last week, talk about what's happened in the world of dance in Montreal this week, and uh, we're going to finish up with what to look forward to in the future of dance in Montreal, and in between, we're going to have actually two interviews today, which is a lot of fun. We're going to start with uh, Geneviève C. Ferrand, and uh, in the second half hour of the show, we're going to talk to Adam Kinner. Backing it up a bit, what have we done this week in dance in Montreal? I saw Aube by Katia-Marie Germain, which was also a double bill at Tangente with Geneviève C. Ferrand's Tout est dit, il ne reste rien. I'm very excited to talk to her a little later on because I get to dissect the choreographer's brain after seeing her work. Um, but I am just going to mention really quickly Katia-Marie's work because she's not here and she can't, uh, can't tell us about it herself, but she created a work called Aube. It was an interesting double bill because Tangent does a lot of double bills and brings a lot of uh, emerging or on-the-edge choreographers in and pairs them up. And often the double bills are, are two completely different flavors. But this time they were really similar works in that uh, they both featured five female dancers. They were both quiet, dim pieces. And uh, they both came from creators that have a very strong visual arts uh, background and employ that in their choreography. Aube was just a beautiful piece in, in typical Katia Marie um, style. If you've ever seen her work before, she likes to use a rug on stage and uh, pretty girls in dresses and uh, those little micro movements twisting at the, at the waist. Uh, just little joint movements and all in unison in these little partner pairs. So yeah, it was kind of a development from the last time I saw her work, which I believe was a Danse Boussonnier a few years ago. So that's a little bit about Katia-Marie Germain's work at uh, Tangent this week. The other thing I'm going to bring up is Short and Sweet number nine, which happened a few weeks ago, and we actually had an episode about it two weeks ago on Dirty Feet, and uh, Adam Kinner, I believe, presented a work. So we're going to be talking to him about that briefly later on. And also Danse Boussinier, which is coming up. We had a whole episode about that last week with three different artists presenting work, and uh, Adam Kinner is also presenting work at Danse Boussinier. So again, we'll be getting into that a little bit later on. So let's move on into the, the meat of the show today. Hello, Geneviève. How are you? Hi. Um I'm good. I'm very good uh, this morning. You have a background in visual arts and contemporary dance. Can I ask where you studied? Yes, I actually did. Um, I studied visual arts in Cégep de Vieux-Montréal a while ago. Then after that, I did um, a deck in dance at uh, Cégep Saint-Laurent and then did my uh, bachelor's degree at UCAM, which I finished uh, in 2010. 
I actually, most of my friends and the people are around me are all visual artists that I have met when I was younger studying visual arts. Even though I've been studying and working in dance, most of my environment is visual arts. When you were at UCAM, were you studying you were studying dance at UCAM? Yes, I was uh, studying contemporary dance. And you have, you have the choice of being uh, studying in interpretation, choreography, mm-hmm. or teaching there. Yeah. Um, I was t- uh, studying choreography at that time. And mm-hmm. I'm actually also uh, doing my master right now at uh, UCAM in dance also. So just for me to be clear, you also have been studying dance since you were younger as well? So you've always had the visual arts aspect and the dance training? I mean, I started dancing when I was, I guess, like most people who've been in dance since I was about three. But I think for me, like all my childhood, I've never been... I knew I was going to be in arts. I never knew if it was going to be visual arts or dance because those were very important fields for me. And uh, I think my mother wanted me to be more of a visual artist. Mm-hmm. For, so I started with that. And then I went to my true calling. So how? what was that journey like for you to decide, okay, like, you know, studying dance at UCAM, doing your master's now? How did dance win you over? From the visual arts? Uh, it was actually, I was uh, while I was studying visual arts at Cégep du Montréal, there was a dance troupe there. I realized I was doing both at the same time, and I realized that the more I was getting into the dance troupe, I was much more excited about going to that dance, to my dance classes than to my visual art classes. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting me mostly in visual arts was very much like the, the movement and the plasticity So I think in a way, dance was a way to push forward the limits to visual uh, visual arts. I remember very well doing a um, sculpture class and working with clay and just being so into just like making the muscles and the movements. And my figures that I would do would never, ever look realistic because I got way too into, I don't know, like the body and it mm-hmm. became something that made no sense. But... It was all about movement and about, yeah, the body and plasticity. Uh, I, I did want to say, too, sometimes it's hard to brag on your own, but since 2010, you have presented work at Studio 303 as part of the Edgy Women's Festival, the Projet Webcam, the Festival Cartier Danse, and uh, Festival Grando Cerro and Batoga. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Yeah, well, I, I was not there, but it's... Um One of the girl that is dancing for me uh, right now, she asked me to do a solo for her, which is called Le Serre, and she uh, she presented it in a festival in Colombia. Were you able to go see it? No. I could not. Okay. No, I didn't have the, the money <laughs> for it. But I'm hoping that I will be able to if it goes somewhere else soon. Well, that's a great credit to have. You're an international artist. Yes, very much. So I wanted to get in a little bit into the, the meat of, of the work that you just presented. Mm-hmm. And um, this kind of brought up a question for me, because I know here in, in what it says is the, um, the work you presented was based on the experience of authenticity. And then it goes on. It explains a little more. Mm-hmm. But I kind of want to stop there and ask you, you know, what is authenticity for you? What is that? You know, how do you, how do you gauge authenticity? I mean, it's been like evolving in my mind what I think instinctively I've always knew that what I wanted was authenticity and more I read about it the more I study um, the more it changes or like it moves my idea of authenticity moves along with me but I think it comes from this uh, 
this need of um, something universal that if you dig really deep enough, you can find like this little thing that brings us all together, like this one true state that is truly universal. But it's this, you have to dig really, really, really deep. And I think it's also really, really hard on stage to... Um, because you're, I mean, you're, you're in front of people. You want to present yourself, dancers and choreographers, or like uh, perfection freaks. We want to look good <laughs> on stage. We don't want to show our vulnerabilities. And I find that that's what in, is interesting is to show like that one vulnerable, true thing about each other that is completely uh, not made up. That is the essence. Like to be able to find everyone's essence that will then create a really um, connection with the viewer and the, the dancers. Just to give a larger context mm -hmm. to what we're talking about, the work, it's a 27-minute piece, as I see here, and it's it's five basically nude uh, dancers, uh, save for a little discreet underwear, mm -hmm. and uh, a giant mountain of Christmas lights, of white Christmas lights on stage left. And the dancers start on the ground on stage right and kind of slowly progress towards the light in a very it's a lot of unison with with breakoffs of solos and duets and trios that happen and the movement is is very muscular very slow one of the favorite positions i picked out was like a like a downward dog if you can imagine but with the hands closer to the feet and then a long extension of a leg up back and then a break at the knee and a slow bring back down. That was an image that came up a lot and, mm -hmm. and really burned into my brain. It kind of gives you an idea of kind of the, it's very low to the ground and middle section and very slow and very muscular movement. Do you have anything to add as far as is, is trying to visualize uh, the work? I think you explained it very well. I think, yeah, it's very, very simple. It's pretty much eight movements are repeated about three times as a duet. And they are extremely slow. Like the eight movements repeated three times take like about 30 minutes. So it's super minimal and extremely muscular and extremely demanding on the dancers. In your show description, you call it a triptych. Yeah. And in what way do you see it as a triptych? Uh, it kind of changed with time. It was more of a triptych at first, but... Um, we really divided the piece in like in three parts, and there's the first part where they're all together. The second part is where there's a duet happening, and the third part is when uh, they're in the lights. Mm -hmm. The idea was I just I don't know I really like the idea of triptychs. <laughs> I think that comes from the visual arts probably because yeah, it's more utilized in that in mm -hmm. that medium to describe a work that is in three parts. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm, I'm kind of curious about this authenticity. Mm -hmm. You know, when you go through this process with your dancers, how do you lead them through, like, finding that authentic place? Mm -hmm. And then when you meet it, what is your experience of that? How do you, how do you meet it? That's a thing that's really... I, I feel like... I kind of feel like a bitch most of the time when I work <laughs> with them because... <laughs> I work with them hard? <laughs> it's because they, they are really good and they want to show exactly what I'm asking them and I'm asking them perfection in every little detail like all the the angles of the fingers when they touch the floor the way like the pupil and the eye where it has to stay like everything is 
super super um detailed precise. And, yeah precise yeah. and so hard on the body to move that slow and always be in contraction mm. and so what i'm asking them is perfection knowing that they will fail because no one can achieve perfection and for me that little like that little failure that they have that's where like the failing is where you that's your humanity that's where you show you you cannot fake failing unless i mean we're trying to have them not fake failing to make me happy uh my assistant and i um but yeah it's by asking them something that is completely impossible mm -hmm. and them trying to achieve it and failing i i think in the um, in the program i was saying it's like in my mind i'm putting so much varnish on the piece that like it has no choice but to crack and it's through the cracks that we can yeah. like get the the vulnerability and the sensitivity and the humanity of the dancers which is for me their authenticity and is this process for you of asking something that you know is not possible from your dancers is that an internal process you keep to yourself and so therefore it allows a more authentic experience for the dancers like you're not telling them like ha huh, i know that what mm -hmm. i'm asking you is impossible but you keep that to yourself and you allow them to explore that and thus at I, some point fail i keep it to myself but they've been working with me for a while so they know by okay. now but i think what we do is just by the minute that they because i always think it's impossible and then they like at, after some point they find a way or they cheat so that i think they're doing it and the idea is to always put more layers and more layers and more layers to make it always more impossible and they find some happiness in it they're really good at finding positivity in it because it's really really hard i think it, it's asking them a lot of humility mm. to um to be able to show themselves like that on stage and they see what good it can bring to the piece I think at some point they also like kind of like go of their control and accept to just do the best they can and that I will tell them if I want more if I want less sounds like you're transporting them through a life lesson you know <laughs> letting go um, so do do they ever rise above do they ever exceed your expectation and they're like oh wow or for you, like, oh, I didn't expect that. They they do. It's really, it just, it happens. It's something that's intangible. It's really like we were talking yesterday after the shows about how, like, it really feels like sometimes it's magic happens because it's just one time they will all be together. It has a lot to do with, like, all of them, if they're all in the right state at the same moment and they're all there working together uh, to achieve this. Like, it can be just a little thing different, like a tiny little thing in time, and it will just, I will feel moved. And I've seen the piece, like, a thousand times, and sometimes I still get lost in it because I, and it's a good thing, because I, like, completely forget my role as a choreographer, and I just, I feel something watching them. And for me, that is when mm. they have done something magical. Yeah. It is a very hypnotic, meditative sort mm -hmm. of work. Yes. And, and so far, it sounds as, you know, though your dancers are, are very willing and they really, like, give in to your demands, but are there times where it's just like they meet walls, they hit walls, and it's just like, ah, you know, yeah. I can't do this. We just, ah, you know, like, how? W when is that kind of moment? It 
it happens like the process has been for this piece has been for about a year mm-hmm. and um like they each had their own their walls at some point but i think the fact also that all the dancers we've all studied at UCAM at the same time so we've known each other for a while we've seen ourselves at or lowest and highest mm-hmm. so there's all there's already if, um i think a feeling of trust that is there mm-hmm. so that there's been a lot of crying in the practices that's for sure but i think it's we see it as something positive it's like okay well someone meeting a wall is kind of a it's a good conflict because then we can find it all together we can mm. look at what's the problem find a solution try to understand why that person feels that way because it's the problem with my piece is that it's so slow that the dancers like there's a dialogue an inner dialogue that is going on the whole time because it's super slow so they're talking to you in their head the whole time and it can get really negative and it's about like talking about that inner dialogue together and finding it's very like girly therapy kind of thing <laughs> it's <laughs> that aspect So just to bring light on some of the other uh, contributors, can you can you tell our listeners too who are the dancers that are in your mm-hmm. piece are? There's five dancers. There's uh, Ariane Boulet, Joanie Douville, Sarah Delava, Maud Lapointe, and Gabrielle Surprenant Lacasse. Mm. Okay. And you also have a collaborator, another visual artist that you brought in, Alexandre Castogui. Yes. What time is become more of an um, artistic conseiller artistique? Okay, artistic consultant. Yes, we started working on the piece, uh, on the idea of the lights. To because I had been working with the lights for a long time, and uh, he, I was extremely always worried that in the middle of the the show the lights would just go off because they're cr- like cheap Christmas lights. He was kind of the one that was there with me to help me find ways to work it and maybe try to push me forward to find also new ways to see the lights as an installation. He is a multimedia artist. So you had your concept and you brought him in and you asked of him to, like, how can I make this better? Yes. Visually. Exactly. What is his, uh, his background, like just his history? Uh, he, uh, so he's a multimedia artist. He's been a uh, uh, visual art professor at University of okay. Ottawa. Okay. And he's now the... I think the director of the un- undergraduate program of visual arts at UCAM. He's been uh, working, I think, internationally. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's been working for a long time, and it's very much a like robotic arts. He works with old electronics like uh, that are not used anymore, which was also why he was interested in my work was because mm-hmm. I was working with cheap old Christmas lights. And kind of giving them a new voice, I guess. Are there any um, future, you know, performances planned for the the piece? Uh, not, <laughs> not for now. Yeah. I mean, we're really hoping mm-hmm. we will. So our plan is to be able to uh, make it travel a little. It's always hard because we have five dancers, mm-hmm. so it's a lot of just scheduling for rehearsals is almost impossible so mm-hmm. but we have a lot of faith that we can we really really hope we can yeah. make it happen again and for yourself like just in terms of what you envision for yourself you know in in, in the near future or even in the far off future what are some of the things that you're seeing yourself doing accomplishing in terms of choreography or artistic uh, projects 
the piece that I just presented is I've been working on it for a year, but it's something that has like I've been doing little studies with the Christmas lights for like the past five years, I think. So I feel like the I've like a big chapter has been turned now and I'm looking I mean right now what I'm with that piece I would actually be really interested to try it with an all male cast. Hmm. I have a um, residency in New York in January where I'm going to be working with a visual artist from Brooklyn. So I'm I think I'm very open-minded and I don't want to set myself on a path. I just have a lot of ideas and I want to see where it brings me and see what connects me more. That's very interesting that you say that about a male cast. Um, when the piece starts, the lights are very, very dim, and there's lots of side lighting, so you see a lot of muscles. You see a lot of, of the structure of the body, but you don't necessarily see, there's not necessarily sexuality. There's mm -hmm. not necessarily gender there. Yeah, that would be a really interesting experiment. Yeah, I, I really wanted to use Unity because of the, just to be able to really see the skin working. And I was really worried that because the movements can be seen as feminine, I didn't want to have any uh, sexuality. Um, I didn't want people to see that as something erotic or sensual. Mm. So I wanted to shut all um, gender references. Mm. Which is hard to do when you have nude performers. Yes, <laughs> and all girls. So. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I was, I was really curious how it would be received as uh, because I've been told that the movements are very feminine, and I would be interested to see like if the whole piece is the same but made with male, like how will it be received? Like how different? And shutting down like all the the references also just like with the girls. There's a I think it was on Friday we had a talk with Tangente, and uh, someone in the public said that she thought it was all male at first. She because she couldn't see. Do you have a website or anywhere where people can find you online and, and just kind of reference some of this stuff, I images we maybe have talked about? For now, the Tangent website and Facebook page. Tangent, Facebook, anyone interested, they can Google Geneviève C. Ferron, F-E-R-R-O-N. And I think that wraps up our interview with Geneviève. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing with us a little bit behind your, uh, you know, behind your process and, and all that. It was my pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Anything else? <laughs> Any final words about the, the process of presenting um, work at Tangente? Yeah, I, I'm extremely, extremely grateful for Tangente. And they do amazing work with not a lot of um, resources. Money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're extremely resourceful and warm, and it's a real big family, and I really want, if people can go see the shows, it's really important to support. It's a huge institution in the dance world in Montreal, and it's really important that we keep it alive. So, Amen. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> thank you so well, much. Thank for you again. <laughs> thank you. All right, on to the second half of Dirty Feet this week. We have Adam Kinner. We've actually had Adam on uh, our old show, Movement Museum, on CKUT there, uh, which is we're no longer doing because we're on the No More Radio Podcast Network, rocking it with Dirty Feet. But uh, back in October 4th, we had you on, Adam, to talk a bit about uh, about a bunch of projects you were working on at that time, uh, including Dance Boussignet. But we're going to go into a bit more detail about that today because it's right around the corner. It has, it's uh, going up next week mm -hmm. at Tangent. So Adam Kinner is uh, 
a self-taught dance artist, and um, and you're a trained saxophonist and composer, and you spent many years working as a musician, traveling through North America and Europe to perform and record extensively with musicians in Montreal and New York, and you ended up getting influenced by damaged goods and uh, parts showings in Brussels, and you switched. Yeah. Explain this process, because you, you did a residency in Banff? Oh, yeah, happened? yeah. There's so many different like ways that I've described this that you maybe have seen. Uh, yeah, I, I got interested in performing alone, saxophone mostly, but I, I was also playing drums and guitar at the time, and I was just like these little shows that were kind of more about me in a way than about the music I was playing. I'd always played in a band and had musicians with me, and it was like, we're presenting this music, and that, then it became much more about like, I'm just doing something, and that sort of led me into like, okay, the body and and the performance yeah. of it as yeah, and the exactly the performance of it, the the feeling of of yeah, a performer on stage, yeah. And that sounds very contemporary dance, me. <laughs> what? Yeah, me. Yeah, just exploring you know <laughs> the internal world, which you actually talk about too in your bio here, the internal world, the external world. Mm -hmm. We'll get that into that a little sure. bit later. Yeah. And so you started collaborating with dancers here in Montreal in 2000. 11 so just last year 11 yeah yeah and, uh, and already success and already lots of projects <laughs> under your belt uh, including as i was saying earlier short and sweet nine you did a yeah. presentation for that yeah and again we had an episode a podcast on that just two weeks ago okay where we talked about uh we talked to some of the other artists presenting work for the first time at short and sweet was oh, cool. this also your first time doing short and sweet no i've done the last three short and sweets oh, i'm like a my god yeah i'm like a short and sweet guy you're packing like a like a five year career into <laughs> yeah right yeah yeah, yeah. Like, okay it's a short and sweet version of a five year career <laughs> sorry so I know you know I was actually speaking to another dance artist Kelly Keenan this morning oh. um, and she was mentioning she's like oh yeah you're you're gonna be talking um, to Adam and she was saying you know when she first met you performing as a musician. That you are, uh, were already just very much embodying like the physicality of a dancer on stage, like very involved in the whole body, very much like present, not just playing a saxophone as an extension of whatever, you know, of you, but it was really like about the body. Um, so really, like, what was the turning point for you where like you decided to open that door into dance? Was it the workshop or was it like just one day you're like, you know what, I really want to engage with the dance community and bring myself into these performance opportunities what was that click so that's a good question i think um well it was maybe a number of things one thing was that i realized that when i was watching music i was really involved in like how i was reading the body on stage and and how i would get these cues from musicians like sometimes i would go i was doing a lot of music reviews at the time and I would go to these shows and I'd be like, this guy, he's not in it. Like he's not enjoying it or this band, there's something wrong. Like they're fighting. And I, I don't know, that became very prevalent and I would hear the music through that sort of lens. But then also I think the biggest thing for me was that I started to use text in performances. Mm -hmm. I started recording my, my voice and I would, I was making all these lists and dialogues with myself that I would record. And then I was using those in my like solo music and as soon as it became text, as soon as there was text there, I, I felt like I wasn't really making music as much. Like it was, it was more complicated than that. And then also meeting Kelly at the same time and her being really encouraging and bringing me into the studio. And mm -hmm. I also did a workshop with Ivo Demchev, mm -hmm. which was like very, I find him super fascinating f as a musician. 
as well as a dancer. So I, f- I felt sort of mm-hmm. comfortable to, to move into a different kind of performance mm-hmm. in that context, too. In terms of dance training and workshops like that, besides the one you did with Ivo uh, Dimchev, are you engaging in that right now? Like just to find ways to kind of increase body awareness and, you know, just the mechanics of dancing and moving on a stage? Yeah. Um, well, I'm doing a master's at Concordia and I'm taking a choreography class mm. um, there. Who's your teacher? KG. Okay, nice. Yeah. KG Gutman, yeah. she's the best. Shout she's out, KG. <laughs> and um, I took a workshop with Kelly, the access syllabus thing, mm-hmm. and it was it was wonderful. Yeah, I guess I'm interested, but I also think that my performance as a dancer is very much not related to technique. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's something I'm interested in, but not super pursuing, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Maybe I will, I don't know. <laughs> I appreciate it when I see it in other people and... Mm-hmm. So the work that you're creating for Danse Boussinier... What are you faking? <laughs> <laughs> what you faking, Adam? Yeah. The uh, title of the work is, of course, I'm faking it. Uh, I'm wondering, before we talk about the, the, the meat of the project, can you give us a visual? It's a self-solo. What does it look like? What can we expect as an audience? What does it look like? It looks like um, I'm, just, I'm sort of just walking around the stage and talking. And I do sort of gestures that I think are kind of ridiculous. And I talk about a lot about what I'm going to do. And I think a lot of the text leads to questions about like whether I'm actually doing what I'm saying, what I'm saying I'm doing. And then, yeah, there are moments where it's very physically embodied and also where I sing. Uh, So I don't know how to describe it better than that. It's lit in a kind of ugly way. Like it's not super, super dance, dancey lights, like... Not flattering. Beautiful. Side it's not lights. flattering. No, yeah. it's um, a lot of top light, a lot of a lot Harsh. of bright lights. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and so, from what I understand, where this piece came from was the workshop with Evo. Yeah. And, totally. And, and yeah. So basically, it was born out of that workshop. And mm-hmm. how can you explain a little bit about you know that process in your workshop? What did you do in the workshop? And and how this was it? How did it give birth to this? Well, Evo Demchev's workshops are a little bit they're interesting we started by writing about some things that we were interested in some things that we weren't interested in as topics and um and then we chose topics and we kept writing about them like all sorts of sort of prompts that was a i guess the first part of the workshop the rest of it was just working on on a piece and he was he's very uh he's very quick like he was quick to sort of throw things out and Mm -hmm. he's very straightforward and yeah just working on these topics and trying to make an interesting performance um, how did that give birth to this piece? Oh, yeah. yeah. So I started just developing these topics. Mm-hmm. I forget exactly what they were. I think one was entertainment and one was vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't remember what just the other one was. De- Decision making, maybe? Oh, yeah. yes. So, yeah, and it just kind of... And it, I ended up with like a maybe an 11-minute piece that I thought was interesting and mm-hmm. he was encouraging mm-hmm. in his in his own way. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then I changed it a lot. Like, that was a year ago. So mm-hmm. so it's been through the mill. As an interesting parallel to the previous interview we did, in the description of the work, it says that I'm faking it focuses on the dialogue between interior and exterior space to explore notions of permanence and truth. Mm. So you're also talking about authenticity mm-hmm, you're also yeah. talking about what's happening inside being different than what's happening outside how do you approach that you, yeah. you got to listen to uh, Geneviève speak a bit maybe you can 
you can draw parallels or, or contrasts? Yeah, um, I thought her notion of authenticity was really interesting. What's my notion of authenticity? I guess I think more rather than than sort of positing that I'm being authentic or not being authentic or that I know where authenticity lives. What I'm interested in is like the movement sort of back and forth between like, oh, he's faking it. Oh, he's not faking it. Wait, is he faking it? Is this real? Is he being sincere? Is this like something we can count on? And I think it's that movement through those like sort of different parts of how you approach a performer that, that creates this sort of like feeling of authenticity. But I, I, I'm not even that interested in having people feel like what I'm doing is authentic. It's more that they raise the question mm. themselves and, mm-hmm. and they, they can decide. So that, is there no yeah. scale of success or failure here? That's a good question. I, I wonder. I don't know. I think I, I feel that the piece is successful, yes, if it raises those questions. And if there's a feeling of, of like, okay, I was... I was more in, in, interesting this time or the other mm-hmm. time, you know what I mean? Like, mm. and also physically, like it's, it's a physical, like I need to be physically involved and the text has to be delivered in the right way. And then I think it kind of raises these interesting questions. Is there an element of improvisation in this? I mean, I assume such, but if it- yeah, that's a good question too. I mean, yeah, for sure. I think if I was teaching someone to do this, then they would be like, Oh, it's just kind of all improvised. But for me, there's a, there's a lot of intention behind what's going on. So the important, I'm always aiming like behind it. I'm always like, well, I have to do this now. It's that, how but it what that is, is, yeah, how it, com- how it manifests specifically physically is like maybe up in the air. Yeah. Okay. But I know when it, when it's working or not, like I know when the intention is, is the right intention. Have you performed this for an audience before? Uh, I've performed like little showings of it, Okay. but no, I haven't performed it for. How does that change things? That must be. Do you use the audience reaction as a, as a gauge of success or interest, or is that irrelevant? Ah, oh, that's, I mean, I don't know how you gauge an audience. I, this is, I perform so much as a musician, and I'm always like, well, the audience is so strange. Hmm. You never know, you mm-hmm. know, you never know. But I do, of course, you're in the same room, and you're you're working with the same energy, and people are breathing together, and they're like, and there's reactions, and there's faces, and there's... You know, and and yeah, for sure, I I love to perform in front of an audience. I'm taking a look here at what you you're talking about in in the piece. I'm faking it, and it's quite dense. There's a lot of things. I'm like, okay, what does he mean by that? What is he talking about? So, when you when you're talking about the idea of mental fixedness, what is that for you? What is mental fixedness? And this this relates obviously to decision making. You know, I I wish that it was more clear, I, I, but uh. I think a good way of thinking about what the piece is about and what I'm talking about with mental fixedness is like, so when you're, I feel that when you're an artist, you, you create things and then those things come to represent you in a really interesting way. Like you're like, this is mine. Like I made this and, and it, it you identify with it and it I kind of identifies with you and they, there's a situation there. And I went through the, you know, as a artist, as a musician, as whatever, I've been through these, this like process of, okay, I made these things and now they're, they're me. And those, those are fixed. They're, they're fixed in other people's minds, but I have a variable relationship with them. My feeling about them changes. And Mm -hmm. how do I come to make a work that allows for that kind of relationship where like someone looks at it and they don't say, oh, I know what this is. They say, what is it? What, how does this relate to him? How is this his? Is it his? Maybe it's not. Maybe I can make a work that 
isn't mine and that keeps changing in someone's mind. If I keep defining a different relationship to the to what I'm doing, mm-hmm. then I can create something that has a more dynamic relationship with like who I am in quote or in like capital letters. <laughs> so on on this process of of asking these questions, you know, like like you have another question here that's also very interesting. It's like have we have we grown up or have we regressed to a state of infantile indecision? So what what are some of the outcomes or solutions as you create this work as you, you know, interact with others? What are some of the things that you've kind of discovered for yourself as you question this in your process in relation to the questions as as people have seen them in the Mm -hmm. work as they've seen them as your own internal process yeah because they're pretty big questions they're huge questions questions. so what where do you know yeah where do you know (laughs) where you've come to a certain outcome that satisfy or does it ever satisfy i don't know exactly how to answer that like i don't think anyone's ever seen the piece and then been like this is how i felt about growing up or not grow or whatever like it's not yeah i've never engaged in that dialogue specifically like maybe i will someday but i guess it's not that's not super important it's more like bringing it's raising the question like Mm -hmm. have do like the decisions we make are they are they mature uh that's not a good way of saying it maybe like um i i sometimes go back to this there's a there's a theme in the piece like this sort of a scene of of marriage like with myself Mm -hmm. and uh and and it's it's all about like saying that you'll love someone forever and I, I I always think that's such an interesting thing to say, because what what you're saying to me is that you're you're willing to to love them forever, kind of, but also to fake it when you don't. Mm. And uh, and mm. and I think that's that's sort of like a way of looking at how do we make these decisions, like, and what does making a decision mean? Mm-hmm. What if you say you're going to love someone forever and then you don't? Like, how does that work? <laughs> yeah. Like you 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 get I don't know you get divorced or you stop loving them and then what do you do? Like everything changes, everything changes. Right. What if we just go into it saying, well, I'm not going to actually love you forever, but I'll really try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and is that, I mean, is, is that, that the same thing? Is that closer to a truth? Is that do closer to truth? I don't know. I mean, this is the so. questions. Yeah. Cause I don't think anything is forever. I do. I think I do think, but is it important to say changes. I'll love you forever? Like, is that mm-hmm. important? I don't know. Is it important to pretend that you do when you don't? I went to a wedding this week. I'm just saying you're <laughs> messing me up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, I think to our ideas of permanence and and through decision making based on our belief of a permanence also brings us into places where we might be deceived by our own decision making process when we enter into those places where yeah, we're deceived by our own decisions of uh, Sure, beliefs. yes. Totally. I think that's 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 a major point mm-hmm. for me. Um, do you have any other collaborators or people that you were that have contributed to the work with you? Well, a lot of people have helped. Kelly actually has like seen it a bunch of times, and mm-hmm. you know, just like in terms of just being As an someone. To, yeah, it's yeah. W- when you're working on a solo on yourself. It's like sometimes you're like, "What am I doing?" And she's come in and really mm-hmm. talked to me. And then you know, I say it's a solo, but it's there's actually someone that's going to introduce me. My my friend. Patricia, Patricia mm-hmm. Bushel, she's amazing. She's like does a lot of work in the arts and mm-hmm. supports artists and does like some administration stuff for arts organizations. And she is um, introducing me. Actually, there's a, there's a, another performance sort of happens alongside. I'm faking it, called "We Can Make This Work." She talks a little bit about that. It's a year long performance where people can write me a check for a hundred dollars or more once. I get the money. I, I, I give them 99% of it back. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so she talks about that. You, and you, there's a website, actually, we can make this work.org. Huh. 
Yeah. When you were performing more as a musician mm-hmm. and you would create your work and stuff like that, I'm assuming that you didn't have like outside eyes, people coming in, giving you comments and like structuring it, making it more clear. So now that you're in the dance world and you're kind of in a place where, you know, Kelly comes in, she's giving you, you know, feedback, working as an outside eye for you. Is that something that's different as a performer now within the dance world? I would say for sure. I think that's one of the major reasons I'm interested in the dance world. Mm-hmm. I think music, you know, could could benefit from from this kind of really structured like criticism and and a community of like people seeing things. There's a lot of like musicians perform all the time and mm-hmm. and there is like there is a system of, you know, people giving feedback and stuff like that happens for sure. But um I find it, I find the dance world a little bit more rigorous in that mm-hmm. in those respects. And mm-hmm. I like that. No, it's really it's really great for me like to to have people see things and make intelligent criticism. Mm-hmm. It makes the work stronger. It helps you for sure. see more clearly because you know as a soloist like you're saying you're on stage, you're creating it, you're really into your idea, you know what you want to do, but is it clear? Is it coming through? Mm-hmm. To talk about the context of the show briefly because we did have a a whole episode dedicated to Danse Blue <coughs> last podcast and we talked to Rosie Contin, Frederick Wiper and Kimberly Dijong about their works. Do you have a lot of exposure to the other artists that are involved in the Danse Blue Have you seen the other works? No, I haven't seen any of the other works. No. I mean, we we've met there's like Okay. I like them. They're nice people. I I haven't <laughs> seen their work. It's so interesting <coughs> that that it's going to be works coming together that are completely fresh and untainted by one another. <laughs> yeah, totally. And also, like, I, I wonder when I will see the work. I mean, it depends on the show, but, like, this is something that's kind of interesting to me also as a musician. Like, I'm always used to watching everything happen, and, and then I go on stage, yeah. and it's not a big deal, you know. Yeah. But now I'm, I have this feeling, okay, I want to be backstage. I want to, like, yeah. get ready or whatever. Yeah. And I, I, I um, end up not seeing a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, we had the opportunity last week to ask them about the process of, of auditioning for Danse Poussigny mm-hmm. and getting in and what it's been like. So what's your perspective on that? Uh, how, do you, how do you feel about being uh, a part of the Danse Poussigny uh, show and uh, having Tangent support and, and all the rest of it? Yeah, I mean, it's great. <laughs> it was, I, had a, I had a wonderful little time with the audition. I went in. I, you know, the piece was already done, so I just kind of reviewed it and then went in and did some of it and had a chat and it was great. And then I find, yeah, the Tangent team is so, so cool. They are really doing great work and I don't know. Yeah. It's been nice. It's beautiful. The whole, the whole process. Do you plan on taking, I'm faking it further? For sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, Any future, you know, plans already that's been painted? Not particularly. It's something that I've spent a lot of time and energy on and mm-hmm. I would like it to be an evening, an evening length piece. Mm. So um, so yeah, I've, I've, it's funny. Like I, I always, I'm like, okay, it's going to be an evening length piece. Like, yeah, I should start like making it longer, but I find that as long as I have to perform it as this, that's a very short performance at Dance Buissonniere. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it's supposed to be 10 minutes and, uh, it's supposed to be, it's about, well, it'll be like 11 minutes, 10 minutes. <laughs> it's going to be 10 minutes. So, uh, I find that I have to keep it as that until it, this performance is done and then so as not to dilute it yeah then i'll feel like i'm always like sort of mitigating the the like losses or whatever mm-hmm. um so yeah i guess as soon as it's done it's it's turning into a longer piece so i'm i'm curious too do you plan on kind of absorbing as much as you can in terms of this process you know we were talking earlier 
that the the dance creation process can be a lot more rigorous um, in the studio in terms of you know clarifying and getting feedback and really questioning what you're doing. Do you plan on taking this and absorbing it and and coming back into the music world and approaching, say, like you know, as a musician, as a as a music performance in that way to kind of up the scale of what a musician can really do on the stage and in the process? Hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, well, first of all, I just want to say I'm still a musician. Mm-hmm. Like I still I play music all the time, mm-hmm. and yeah, I you know I'm interested in what you're talking about, but I also think. That these are worlds that are that have their own way of working. I think the music world works the way it does because mm-hmm. it works well in that way. I mean, there's certain things for me that I have issues with or whatever, but like it's not like everyone's like, ah, oh, this sucks. We I, <laughs> but we can't do anything about it. Yeah. Like I think everyone kind of contributes in their own way to the community. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, so you're dancing, but like you're really just playing music on stage or something. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm just dancing. But I think a lot of people expect, and I expect <laughs> that that the two parts of my life like dance and music yeah. will will become ever more mm-hmm. involved and i see that happening a little bit um i think that's sort of an end goal but maybe mm-hmm. the end is far i don't know i like i like to be i like to be two different yeah. kinds of performers i really enjoy that yeah i i think i ask that too because often you know when i go and watch a music performance sometimes i wish there was a little more attention to you know the physical body mm-hmm. and also even just like the layout of the way maybe performers are, are set on stage the way they move from one song to another like just as a choreographer when I watch dance shows I'm like ah there's just a little more detail to give like a, a sense of you know a sense of like a whole performance from beginning to end in a sense and also just that engagement with the, the performers on stage and, and in their bodies and all of that stuff so yeah. I think it's a really awesome tool to have if you really merge that from a contemporary choreographer point of view and take that onto a stage as a musician you can really blow your audiences away because it's just something you might not expect because people are used to being like all right and playing a set or i'm like doing the next song all right you know yeah taking a sip of beer yeah on rock rock stages and stuff <laughs> like that i totally agree with you it's something i would like to see but also i think it has a lot to do with how the musicians relate to me like people just relate to the work that they're doing on stage mm-hmm. musicians relate to that so differently than dancers mm-hmm. and uh there's things that that enables also mm-hmm. like sometimes you see the show and the people are not in it but the something about like there's a the magic and you don't care you know mm-hmm. and that i think people are very protective over that that feeling in mm-hmm. the music world so you know and also there's it's a different economy of, of making mm-hmm. work and and there's like totally different amounts of time and energy that are able to be dedicated to the two different arts and but I'm with you. I want to see it too. Mm, I want cool. to see cool. yeah, and I want to see dance that looks more like music, mm. honestly. I'm kind of like <laughs> on the opposite path as you. You're kind of merging more into, mm-hmm. you know, dance and stuff and I'm trying to merge a little more into the musical aspect just kind cool. of playing in that playground for myself so we're kind of going like that but at some point you know i i do want to take what i have as an experience in terms of as a choreographer and see what i can do just on a different kind of stage yeah yeah. a couple of dancer choreographers have been like i really want to have a band (laughs) and a couple of of visual artists too are like i want to make a record and i'm like yeah you should totally make a you should totally have a band the one thing that i really love about music is that you can capture it and you can, there's no limit to how far music can travel. Um, but dance is ephemeral, you know, your limit to space and to, you know, at least now, like in terms of live performance. So I like that aspect of having that kind of accessibility as well. So it's just like another tool, you know, because as artists, I think 
at least my goal is like you know you want to make work so that people can see enjoy it take it in mm. and, and and give it back or whatever so that's what i really like about music and you don't need always a gigantic dance studio to work or to make music perhaps um so it's different it's got different limitations in each field yeah yeah i, I love the ephemeral aspect of dance like mm-hmm. that's beautiful mm-hmm. to me yeah but i also love to make records and have objects and let them travel and put music online and mm-hmm. yeah i think the more you, we do the better mm-hmm. the better it is <laughs> cool. so do you have any like last words uh that you want to you know let our listeners know or kind of put out there in terms of what you're doing maybe next shows next week's show anything any last words adam well no it's this week i mean it, it's on thursday it starts on thursday, on thursday. so thursday the 13th yeah. 7.30 at, at Studio Hydro-Quebec. That's at Monument National, where Tangent's been putting their shows for most of the season. Uh, so it's playing the 13th, 14th, and 15th at 7.30, and the 16th at 4. And you get to see Adam's work, I'm Faking It, alongside five other works. Yeah. So it's a lot of bang for your buck. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, and thank you for coming in and sharing with us. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you very you. much. My pleasure. Well, that wraps up Dirty Feet for this week. Well, we'll be back at you next week with another brand new podcast. Uh, just before I say goodbye, I do want to give a shout out to the other artists that are presenting work for Danse Poussonnier this year. You have uh, Elise Bergeron, Philippe Poiré, two of the artists we talked to last week, Rosie Contente and Frederick Wiper, also working together. We also talked to Kimberly DeJong. And uh, just today, we talked to Adam Kinner. And there are two other artists presenting work, Audrey Rocher and Annie Gagnon. And so, yeah, like I said, lots of work, lots of artists, uh, definitely worth the price of a ticket. Uh, One other thing I wanted to mention before we say goodbye today is uh, our collaborator, Bloody Underrated. You may have noticed that we've stopped doing reviews on air, and instead we're writing our reviews now. So you can check us out at uh, Bloody Underrated, or you can look at our blog on this very website at No More Radio, and it'll give you direct links to all of the reviews that myself and J.D. Papillon and Joanie Ferrand have written about dance happening around Montreal. The most recent is one that I posted about the very show we were speaking with Geneviève Ferron about earlier, her double bill with Katia-Marie Germain, which uh, was shown at Tangente last week. So there you go. Check it out. So another thing we want to mention for all of our listeners out there, if you're a dancer, if you're a performer within the performing arts, contact us um, if you have something that you want to share, something that you'd like to contribute in terms of being a guest on our show. We'd love to hear from you because we are brand new and we want to get the word out and we want to get this podcast booming. Um, so please contact us. Don't be shy. We're totally open to having you guys on the show and, and, and yeah, being a, a guest on one of our podcasts. So that's it. And uh, tune in again next week for more Dirty Feet. Dirty Feet is recorded every week at the Montreal Improv Theatre. Check them out at montrealimprov.com. Dirty Feet is produced and hosted by... Alison Burns. J.D. Papillon. Jen Doan. Joanie Ferrand. And distributed by No More Radio. You can find more about our show at nomoradio.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet. And you can find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Tune in next week for a whole new show.